It is an expression that the Apostle Paul loved to use. And it's a concept that he loved to write about. You see it in many places in your Bible. And because he loved it so much and because he loved to teach about it so much, that's why you see this expression nearly 75 times in the writings, the letters, the epistles that Paul penned. We talked about one of the most quoted instances in the sermon I preached on Sunday morning when we unpacked this little verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Highlighted a couple of different words in that scripture for tonight. Everyone say, in Christ. In Christ. That's probably one of the most familiar places where Paul addresses this little concept of being in Christ. To be in Christ means that by obeying the gospel, we have accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sin. I don't know if any of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but if any of you were on the wrong side of the law long enough that you had a rap sheet, and for those of you that don't know what that is, that's probably a good thing. It has nothing to do with music. Our rap sheet, we all have one, whether we were ever on, on the wrong side of the law or not. And our rap sheet contains every single sinful thought, every action, every word, every deed, every uh, reaction, every attitude, anything we've ever committed that was against God's word, our rap sheet contains that in embarrassingly excruciating detail. No amount of good works, no amount of self-cleansing attempts can make us pure enough to warrant forgiveness, to deserve a relationship with a holy God. In fact, the Bible tells us, this is amazing, the Bible tells us that in our natural sinful state, we are enemies of God. That's what the Bible says. That if you just leave your little self alone and you never have any kind of conversion experience, you never become a Christian, the Bible declares that no matter what kind of a good person you are, in your natural state left alone, you are an enemy of God. But when we accept his sacrifice on our behalf, something miraculous and astounding happens. Jesus literally switches accounts with us. That's what happened at Calvary. Jesus took my sin so I could take his righteousness. Jesus took your badness so you could have his goodness. He took every wrong thing you'd ever done so you could have his righteousness. But here's the catch. It's not enough to know about the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not even enough to believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. The Bible teaches us we must apply the sacrifice of Jesus to our own lives. And that all happens through something the Bible calls the new birth or being born again. When we repent, what we're doing is we're turning from our sin. When we're baptized, what we're doing is we're washing away our sin. And when we receive the Holy Ghost, we're being given power to live above sin. And without those three, turning away from sin, washing away sin, and being given power to live above sin, we just revert back to our old nature all the time. Just as Jesus died and was buried and rose again, we must die to our old life. That's called repentance. We must be buried, that's water baptism. And we must rise again with resurrection power over the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the Holy Ghost. And only in Christ is our debt of sin canceled. Only in Christ is our relationship with God restored. Only in Christ is our eternity in heaven secured. It's an amazing privilege to be in Christ. When you are in Christ, you're given a new nature and a new name. You're given a new identity and you're given a new destiny. You're given a new walk and a new talk. You're given a new heart 
and you're given a new home. You're given a new mind and a new master, a new love and a new joy, a new peace and a new passion. You're given a new future, and guess what? You're also given a new family. That's called the church of the living God. Romans chapter 12, Paul said, so we being many, there's many people here tonight, and where you've got 100 Pentecostals in a room, you've got 101 opinions. We're all different, you know. We're many. But Paul said, though we're many, we are one body. How does a group of people that are so different, we come from different places, backgrounds, we've got all kinds of different likes and dislikes. Some of you love this kind of music, some of you don't. Some of you like this kind of food, some of you don't. Some of you like this kind of people, some of you don't. Now that one's a problem. How does a group of people that are many and they're so different become one body, only one place? One body where? In Christ and everyone members one of another. Paul writes to the Galatians. He uses this little concept 75 times in the epistles. He talks about it a lot. He said, you are all the children of God by faith in Christ. In Christ Jesus. For as many as you, of you as have been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. It's a wonderful privilege to be baptized in Jesus' name. Baptism puts you in Christ, and the Bible says the Holy Ghost puts Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, there's neither rich nor poor, there's neither educated nor uneducated, there's neither valuable nor invaluable nor unvaluable. We are one in Christ Jesus. Somebody say, in Christ. In this family of God, because we are in Christ, the ground is level. There are no superstars or celebrities in the family of God. The ground is level. And so when we pray, God doesn't say, well, uh, I'm going to listen to their prayer first because they've got seniority in this place. There's no such thing. Anybody can reach out to God because when we're in Christ, we're all one in Christ. In Ephesians, Paul writes and he says, you remember your old life. At that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We weren't in the old covenant that the Jews had with Jehovah. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. We had no claim on anything. We had no hope. It wasn't that God didn't care. It was that we were like people without a covenant. We were without the warranty. If you have an appliance and you didn't buy the extended care warranty and the appliance goes on the fritz, you have no claim on the company because you're outside the provision of the warranty. That's very frustrating. And for all of you young people that haven't bought appliances yet, the warranty expires on this day and it breaks down the next day. Can I get a witness? That's just kind of how life works. But here it's called Murphy's Law. Thank God we don't have anybody called Murphy here in this church. But here, here's, here's the thing. We were without warranty, without covenant, without provision, without contract. We weren't in Israel. We weren't part of the promise. We weren't the seed of Abraham, not before we were in Christ. And he said, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. Somebody say, but now. It all turned around because of this. But now, in Christ Jesus. Somebody say, in Christ. So once we got in Christ, all of that turned around. Now we do have promises. Now we do have a covenant. Now we do have hope. We've got all of that because we're in Christ. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, you're made nigh by the blood of Christ. You know this scripture. This is Romans, and Paul unpacks this several times in this epistle. In chapter 8, a couple of times. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, I don't care what the devil accuses you of or what the devil tries to torment you with. If you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation because you're in Christ. You should have been condemned. You would have been condemned. But now that you're in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation. Now here's why. 
Because when you're in Christ, you walk not after the flesh, you don't do the things you used to do, but you walk after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, somebody say, in Christ, in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What are those? The law of sin and death basically is this. You sin, you die. You sin, you die. You say, well, I sinned and I didn't die. Oh yeah, you, die. you did. Something died in you when you sinned. See, when you sin, death is always a result of sin. And the most serious kind of death, I think, that happens to us, sin is actually separation from God. And when you sin, something dies in your sensitivity to that problem. And the further you go and the longer you live and the deeper you get in sin, the less sensitivity you have to the fact that you're disconnected from God. And you lose that sensitivity and you don't even realize how badly in trouble you are. The law of sin and death says when you sin, something dies. When you sin, your spirit dies. When you sin, your future dies. When you sin, your hope dies. When you sin, something good in you dies. Sin always brings death. That's the law of sin and death. And that is what we were under. But now in Christ, there's the law of the spirit of life. And the spirit of life in Christ Jesus says this, that was me, but that's not me anymore. I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. I am free from that. I have a new life in me. And the law of life, it triumphs over the law of sin and death. Why? Because I learned to be religious, not on your life. Because I am in Christ. And when I'm in Christ, I live from a new power source. I live from that law of life, that law of liberty that is inside of me. That's why I can live above sin. He continues on, verse 38. He said, I am persuaded. Here's something else happens when we're in Christ. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Somebody just say everything. There is, uh, you could list everything in the universe. You could list every enemy. You could list every devil and demon. You could list every attack and every setback. But there is nothing. Everything is covered here. There is nothing that is able to separate us from the love of God, which is... In Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you are in Christ, it's like you have a bulletproof shield all around you. It's called the name of the Lord, which is a strong tower, and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. When you're in Christ, it's like you've got a suit of armor. We read about that in Paul's epistles. He said, take on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Because if you can get that armor on, if you can live in Christ, and you don't go outside of those boundaries and you serve God like that. There's power in Christ and none of these things can separate you from God's love when you're in Christ. In Ephesians, he, he says this. This is kind of a, a verse we skip over. It's like the intro. It's like dear so-and-so and we just skip over the beginning of the letter. But he says something powerful here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. See, Jesus is everywhere present, nowhere absent. He, he's, he's God. And so he's simultaneously present among us on earth. He's present ruling his kingdom in heaven. He's everywhere present. He's nowhere absent. That's the nature of God. And God has blessed us with spiritual blessings. You may not have every earthly or physical or temporal or financial blessing that you think you need or want. But let me tell you, you've got some blessings that are far greater than some of those things that your eyes get focused on from time to time. God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings and they are in heavenly places in Christ. There's something about being in Christ, it makes you a native of a different country. When you're in Christ, you are connected to heaven by virtue of being in Christ. Talked about that a little bit on Sunday. When you pray, 
or when you praise, when you talk to God, what you're doing is you're connecting with something of heaven. Even though your body is here on earth and your hands lifted are just physical hands here on earth and your voice raised is just physical vocal cords and muscles and, and breath and it's just the skill of your brain and that's all earthly. Because you are in Christ, when you do that earthly action or actions, what's happening is you're connecting with something of heaven. And God has blessed you with all these spiritual blessings that are not even connected to earth. They're in heavenly places in Christ. It's like you have a direct pipeline to heaven. And that's why you can meet a saint of God that is walking through one of the worst trials, walking through one of the most unjust situations, walking through one of the most unfair attacks, and they've got joy in their heart and a smile on their face. And you think, what is wrong with them? But see, what they've done is they've realized I've got spiritual blessings and they're in heaven because I'm in Christ. I'm connected to something greater than here. So if this all goes up in flames, if this all goes down in a blaze of the enemy's attack, I'm not going to be affected because I am in Christ and my life is hid with Christ in God and I'm connected directly to heaven. We pay a lot of attention to our physical environment and we should. We pay a lot of attention to our physical comfort we pay a lot of attention to our physical situations. But the reality is, if you're in Christ, you have a life that's connected to heaven that is independent of everything you are going through on this earth. You've got to get that locked in your spirit because there will be days when you feel like throwing up your hands. But if you feel like throwing up your hands... Throw up your hands to God and give him a praise in the middle of your situation. There'll be days you feel like you're just gonna fall flat on your face. But when you do, fall flat on your face and call out to God because you've got a connection to heaven that defies all the attacks of the enemy and every situation that you're walking through on this earth. An audience this big, there's somebody in here that's sick. There's somebody in here that's battling discouragement or depression even. There's somebody in here, you've got a family situation that would boggle somebody else's mind because their family's in good shape and your family's in chaos. But here's what I know. If you are a believer whose life is in Christ, it doesn't matter what's swirling around you. It matters what's in you and what you are in. Let me tell you, the Holy Ghost is in you and you are in Christ and you're going to be okay because there's nothing the enemy can do to take you out of Christ if you put yourself in Christ. He says to the Philippians, this is an amazing passage. I, I've always loved this. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't achieved it all yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not so great or so good or so perfect. I'm not so mature or so intelligent. I, I just haven't arrived yet. I count not myself to have apprehended. The devil sometimes, he bludgeons me with that. You're not there yet. You fail. You're fickle. You're fragile. The devil bludgeons you with all of the things where you feel like you're not doing good enough and you're not as far ahead as you should be. And you're not as mature in the Lord as you should be by now. Isn't it amazing that the devil didn't want you to be a Christian in the first place? And now that you are a Christian, he's spending all of his time talking to you about your Christianity. You're not a good Christian. You might as well give up and go. And the devil's always doing that. Paul said, I don't count myself to have succeeded in this. But there's one thing I do. It's the only thing I do that keeps me going. Paul had a lot of issues and a lot of problems and a lot of people attacking him and a lot of the enemy's strategies against his ministry. Paul said, I'm not there yet, but there's one thing I do. Every day, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forth unto those things which are before. Every day, I make a conscious decision to put yesterday 
out of sight and put tomorrow in view every day. There's a lot of people that live backward. They're not thinking about tomorrow. If they were, they wouldn't be living the way they are. And in fact, they just, they, they, they live in yesterday. They're still bitter about something that happened yesterday. They're still filled with strife against somebody because of something that happened yesterday. They've still got their emotions all tied up and tension in their heart and all kinds of frustration in their mind because of something that happened yesterday. And the truth is you can't go back and fix anything that happened yesterday. All you've got is today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let me tell you, today's the day of everything else too. You've only got today. But the best way to live today successfully is keep your eyes on what is before, on what is coming, on tomorrow. So Paul said, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think I'm all that. I don't think I've arrived, but I do have one thing in my pocket that I use every day, and this helps me succeed. I forget those things that are behind. I wipe them out. I forget them. I put them in the past. If I keep remembering them, I just keep stuffing them in the box of I don't care about them anymore. I'm going to move forward. I am not not going to be tied up with what happened yesterday. I forget those things which are behind and I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press. I push. This is my aim. This is where my energy goes every day. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Where's that, Paul? It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not concerned about what other associations or clubs or networks or social circles I'm in. I'm concerned about one thing. I'm concerned about being in Christ. And there's a prize for being in Christ. And that prize is the prize we're going to receive on that day. A lot of us could use a good dose of forgetting the things that are behind. It's not enough that you beat yourself up with them. The devil tries to take them and beat you up with them. It's not enough that the devil does that. Sometimes other people try to do that. And sometimes their motives are evil and sometimes they're just clueless. But they keep bringing it up. Paul said, I forget those things which are behind and I'm gonna focus my attention on what is in front of me. So there are amazing benefits to being in Christ. No wonder Paul wanted to press and reach for everything Jesus declared that he could be. No wonder. I hope you've got the same determination in your heart. I'm not there yet, Pastor. I haven't arrived. I make mistakes. I often slip. I fail and fumble sometimes. But pastor, I've made up in my mind. I'm not looking backward. I'm gonna look forward. I'm not reaching back there to dredge it up again. I'm reaching forward to pull down my destiny that God has given me. Amen. There are amazing benefits to being in Christ. And then there's this odd little passage where he uses this term. He loves this term, in Christ. He uses in Christ, in Christ Jesus. He uses that all the time, 75 times just in his epistles. But this is maybe one of the more unique ones. Um, 2 Corinthians, now 2 Corinthians isn't an easy book for Paul to write. Um, Paul's apostleship and his leadership have been challenged. He's got all kinds of people running around saying false things about him. And he's even got some people in the church that he planted and birthed in Corinth. He's got even some of those people up against him. And, and so when he writes 2 Corinthians, he's really defending his apostleship. It's a tragedy that he even has to, but he has to. And so he defends his apostleship. And so it's an awkward kind of painful letter for him to write in many ways. But as he opens this letter early in the letter to the Corinthians, which is the second time that uh, we have a letter in the Bible that he's written to them. He says this, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph, where? Somebody say it. In Christ. Somebody shout, in Christ. Paul's got people against him. He's got situations that he's dealing with that would perplex any leader. 
He's got the attack from without. He's got even attacks from within the church. He's got all kinds of junk to deal with. There are people that are questioning his motives, his integrity, and his very words. There are people that are accusing him and attacking him from every side. And in the middle of all that, he says, now I thank God because God always causes us to triumph in Christ. So as long as I stay in Christ, I have triumph. If I get out of Christ, if I move outside of this relationship, I'm on my own. But as long as I'm in Christ, I've got a reason to rejoice and triumph. And then he goes into this odd lingo that makes very little sense to us. Uh, God always causes us to triumph in Christ. Here it is. He maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Savor meaning fragrance or incense. He makes manifest the incense, the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. That's an odd image to us. But it's not an odd image to the Corinthians. They know exactly what he's talking about. For we are unto God a sweet savor, a sweet aroma of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. So both the people that are being saved smell the incense or the fragrance and the people that are perishing smell the incense or the fragrance. Again, an odd image. It doesn't make much sense to us. So we've got this image of Paul triumphing in Christ and, and, and he's sending up praises or incense or a fragrance, a sweet smelling fragrance to God. And there are saved people that can sense and smell this fragrance of incense. And there are unsaved people that can smell it. They're perishing, but they can still smell it. And then he says this, to the one, we are the savor, the fragrance, the incense of death unto death. To the other, we are the savor, the fragrance, the incense of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? And then he goes on. That's a, kind of a riddle for us. We don't live in that era of, you know, incense and, and, and triumphs and whatever. We don't live in that era. But here's what Paul's doing. It's amazing. It's one of the most beautiful parallels in the epistles. To describe our victory in Christ, somebody say, in Christ, and to describe it to the Corinthians, he references something that we wouldn't know without a little study. That's why we do Bible study. But the Corinthians knew immediately because this is their century and this is their culture. Paul just referenced a remarkable celebration when he uses the word triumph. The term in the Greek language is thriambuyu, and it means a noisy, joyous victory procession. Uh, the, the triumph was essentially a Roman parade. How many of you, you can confess this in church, how many of you have ever been to the Fredericton Santa Claus Parade? Would you lift your hand? Okay, very good, thank you. It wasn't anything like that. That would be a pittance compared to this. But it was a parade. The Romans invented parades. They really did. All of the, the parades and the marches and the soldiers and the bands and the, the, the carriages and everything in, in England and all kinds of different countries where they have parades, the Romans invented that. They called it a triumph, a triumvir. And, and, and after any significant military conquest in any foreign land, when that general came home with his armies and he came home with gold and silver and treasures that he had taken, and, and when he came home with prisoners and sometimes he came home with the head, the general of that foreign army in chains behind his parade. When that general arrived back in Rome, they were, the Senate would pass a law that said, we're going to have a, a triumph march. And they would institute this huge procession. It was massive. And it was in commemoration of his battle. It was in honor of the general who was responsible for leading his army into that conquest. This is what Paul's saying. That in Christ, we have a noisy, joyous victory procession all the time. 
There may be all kinds of forces against us, but we know that he's conquered. We know that he won the victory. We know that he's in charge. And so even though there's forces against me, Paul said, I can have a noisy, joyous victory procession all the time in Christ Jesus. He's in jail when he writes some of his epistles. And he still says, I can have a noisy, joyous victory procession in Christ. Now, when Rome did those parades, they symbolized the power of this indestructible empire. And there are over 200 triumph marches documented in Roman history. They could run a few miles long, and they could last for several days, these huge parades. Because often you'd have the entire captured battalions of a foreign army that had been marched back to Rome in chains to be made slaves or to be put to death in the Roman Colosseums. Now Paul knew when he wrote those words, he knew the Corinthians would understand exactly what he was saying because 200 years earlier in their own history, the city of Corinth was laid waste by a Roman general named Momius. And Momius came into Corinth, conquered the city, took uh, armies captive and took generals captive and headed back to Rome. So significant was that Roman general's victory over the city of Corinth that sure enough, Rome held a triumph in his honor. Now here's the point Paul's making. When he got home, when this general called Momius, when he got home to Rome and he'd captured the Corinthian army and he'd captured all the treasures from the city of Corinth, it was a great victory to him. But to the Corinthians, it was a tragic defeat. So imagine those Corinthian soldiers being carried back, marched back in chains, in humiliation, being marched back to the city of Rome. And all around, they can smell the incense burning. The Roman priests would burn incense in the streets to celebrate the victory. And so these Corinthian uh, soldiers, they can smell that incense burning. To the Roman soldiers who had conquered, that incense smelled like victory. It smelled like we're going to have a party. It smelled like we're on the winning team. But to the Corinthian soldiers who had been conquered, it smelled like defeat. It smelled like fear. It smelled like danger. It smelled like an ultimate demise maybe in the Roman Colosseum. During every Roman triumph parade, the Romans invented parades. Paul knew that and these people he's writing to, they knew that. They instantly seized on the image he's saying that we have a triumph march, a victory parade in Christ Jesus. During every Roman triumph march, when the people would celebrate the military success of their general and their army and their country, as they saw the spoils of battle heaped up on wagons and paraded through the streets drawn by horses or other animals. And as the Roman priests filled the, the windows and the doorways along the parade road and they burned incense and you could smell it everywhere. And as they saw their enemies march in humiliation and defeat all the way to the Colosseum, it was quite a spectacle. The Romans invented parades. And Paul said, I want to just give you a little image. When you're in Christ, every day of your life can be a noisy, joyous, fanatical, over-the-top victory procession in Christ. It may not feel that way on the job, but you can go to a bad job and have a victory parade in Christ. It may not be that way at home, but you can go to a dysfunctional home and you can still have a victory procession in Christ. It may not be that way in every other arena of your life, but in this one arena, as you serve God and you walk with him in Christ, no matter what else is going on in your life, you can lift your hands, lift your voice anytime because you're not celebrating your situation, you're celebrating your Savior. You're not celebrating all the issues, you're celebrating the one who gave you a spiritual, eternal life in Christ. And, and, and there was this one thing that so meaningful in this victory procession. And if you had been there that day, Rome was a brutal empire. 
Rome was dominant. Rome was strong. Rome seemed to be invincible. It was hundreds of years before that empire finally decayed. And even when it did, it decayed from within. It wasn't somebody coming from without that attacked it and overthrew it. Rome got so sensual and so pagan and so evil and so lazy that they defeated themselves. This empire seemed like it would last for the rest of human history when it was at its prime. It was a brutal empire. Everything was about soldiers and strength and blood and swords and spears and chariots and wild animals and, and all the gladiator fights and the Colosseums. But this one custom was really something. When that parade took place in the city of Rome, when that general came home and he'd won a victory in a foreign land and he'd conquered a foreign enemy and he had soldiers and a, maybe a general or two in chains walking in that parade in humiliation and defeat. He had the spoils of battle piled up on the wagons and the priests were burning incense and the people are out hanging out the windows and the doors and gathering in the squares and in the streets and they're shouting and singing and dancing and it's this huge spectacle. It's this amazing victory par parade and it's a military parade. But there's one thing that seems just a little bit out of place. If you were there on one of those days when Rome had one of their 200 recorded triumph marches, you would have thought this was just a little bit odd because here in his chariot is this big, tough Roman general and he bellows out orders and he shouts and at, at his word, everybody just kind of instantly obeys and instantly turns and instantly is, is, is about face or stand at attention. He's powerful. And if you look behind him, there's all these treasures that he's conquered. There's all his loyal men that they live to obey his command. And then there's all the disgraced enemy and there's all the fallen foes and there's all the, the captive soldiers in chains. And he's the big man on campus that day. He, he's important. He's powerful. And this is all about military and all about strength and all about might and blood and war and battle. But there's this odd little thing. You would have thought it was really strange if you'd have been there on one of those days. Because when you looked at the Roman general in his chariot, either in his chariot, perhaps in his arms, or immediately behind his chariot, you would see some children walking. Little children. Innocent children. Children who'd never lifted a spear or worn a helmet or carried a shield, children who had never seen the horrors or the terrors or the cost of battle, children who'd never shed a drop of blood on a battlefield, innocent little children. They were the general's children, the big man on campus. His children walked with him when he was paraded through the streets in victory. You would have thought it was really odd. Everybody else is a hardened soldier, but here's these precious, innocent little children walking behind their father. They were there only for one reason, one reason alone. They weren't there because they lifted a spear. They weren't there because they wielded a sword. They weren't there because they'd held a shield or blown a battle trumpet. They weren't there because they'd undergone the arduous journey to a foreign country. They weren't there because they'd won a great victorious battle in blood and gore for the emperor. That's not why they were there. They were there only for one reason. They were related to the conquering general by blood. That was it. And when Paul alludes to this, the image is immediate to the Corinthians. We have to work at it a little bit. That's why we do Bible study. So we can dig into the rich meaning of scripture. It's amazing, this Bible that you have. And when Paul makes this little illustration, there's so much here. Because Jesus is our conquering king who left his country and went to a foreign country and won a great victory over opposing forces. And when he headed back to heaven, he didn't go alone. He led captivity captive. When Jesus conquered, he conquered it all. When Jesus conquered, he conquered it forever. When Jesus conquered, he conquered it completely. 
You know that in the book of Revelation, incense is compared to the prayers of the saints. And every time you get in a church service or every time you're in your car or in your room alone and you begin to praise and pray and worship Jesus, do you know what you're doing? You're sending up incense to celebrate the great victory that he's won and he won it for you. And the devil, he thinks he's large and in charge. The devil tries to terrify you and tempt you and hurt you and discourage you. But here's the truth. The devil is in chains and he's being led to an eternal destiny of torment. The devil is going down, but the church is going up. He's already on his way to defeat. So this is, oh, this is so amazing. So when you worship God to heaven, to the church, to Jesus, that smells like the fragrance of life unto life. But when you worship God, it terrifies hell because the very same worship, the very same incense, the very same prayer, the very same praise, it smells like the fragrance of death unto death to the devil. When the church rallies and begins to worship Jesus, the devil trembles and there's a tremor runs through hell because it announces one more time, you're already defeated and you're on your way down and my praise is gonna defeat you today in my life, in my immediate situation but don't you misunderstand if I fall flat on my face today devil, you're still defeated if I messed up yesterday devil, you're still on your way down so what I've gotta do is keep my little old self in that noisy, joyous, fanatical victory procession I am not in this church. I am not in this procession. I am not in the family of God because I won a war or because I lifted a spear or because I wielded a sword or because I shed my blood. I am here only for one reason. I'm just a little innocent kid following along the great general who conquered the forces of hell. I'm only here for one reason. I am related to the general by his blood. I am in Christ by his blood. I know it's Bible study, but that's worth thanking Jesus for. Hallelujah. We get to march along with Jesus in a place of honor. You shouldn't be here. You should be laying on a street corner, some of you. Some of you, your marriage should have busted up a long time ago. Your kids should have walked out a long time ago. Everything should have gone upside down in your life. But do you know why you're here? It's because you're in Christ. And in Christ, every man and every woman is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. <laughs> the word triambule, the victory procession, the triumph march, it's only used one other place in the New Testament. And once again, of course, it's when Paul is explaining Jesus' great victory. The first one is in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The second time is in the book of Colossians chapter 2. Here's what it says. It's amazing. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. This is what Jesus did on Calvary. He took the long list of your sins. He took your rap sheet and he nailed it to his cross, covered it with his blood. It was contrary to us, but he took it out of the way because he nailed your sins to his cross. And then, this is, having spoiled principalities and powers, every evil force, every demon, every devil, every imp of hell, having spoiled principalities and powers, here it is, he made a show of them openly. He humiliated them. He embarrassed them. He disgraced them. He defamed them. He denigrated them. He embarrassed them in front of the whole universe. He made a show of them openly. And here it is. Triumphing over the same word. He had a noisy, joyous victory procession. When Jesus came out of the realm of hell, after he went into hell itself, when he came out of that, the Bible does say he led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. Jesus came out of hell, and when he came out of hell, everything in hell knows that 
the devil isn't the boss of hell. The devil isn't running hell. I don't care what cartoon you've seen. The devil isn't the big boss sitting on a throne in heaven, in hell. The devil is a disgraced foe. The devil is a defeated general. The devil is on his way to a bottomless pit and then he's on his way to an eternal lake of fire. The devil isn't all that. The devil isn't as powerful as he's made himself out to be to you. When he comes at you, you need to remind him, I'm in the procession, not because of what I did. I'm in the victory march, not because of what I paid. I'm in the victory march, not because of what I've accomplished, but I am related to my father by his blood. And so devil, get out of my face, get out of my stuff, get out of my life, get out of my home because you are defeated. He made a show of you openly. I wasn't at Calvary, but I have a right to the privileges of a son. Here's the point for Bible study on Wednesday night. As long as I stay in Christ, as long as I stay walking in that march of triumph, there's victory. If I get out, I'm on my own. But as long as I stay in there, in Christ, there's victory. The devil may accuse me, he may tempt me, he may mock me. But when he does, he does so from his position of defeat, bound in chains by my father who won the victory. The devil is merely a captured general of hell in Jesus' victory parade. And that's why I don't need to listen to him ever. He has been conquered by my father and he is bound, humiliated, and headed for eternal defeat. Paul wrote this in Romans. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You have not, somebody say, I have not. Say it like you mean it, I have not. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Stop acting like you're still in the world and you're still at the mercy of all the currents in the culture of the world. You are not. You have not received that same old spirit of bondage and anxiety and fear and depression. You haven't received that again. Here's what you've received. You have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. (laughs) See, it's even better than what Paul paints because Paul... He was a Jew who became a Christian. He was already in the covenant of Abraham before he ever became a Christian. We were not. It's even better for us. We were grafted in. We were adopted in. We have no claim on this. We have no right to this. Don't ever get smug and feel like, well, I've been a Christian for so many years and you wouldn't be anything if it was not for Jesus. You didn't win this. You didn't die for this. You didn't fight for this. You didn't buy this. Jesus gave this to you. It's all because of him. That's why we have what we have. I'm going to close in an odd way tonight. Does anybody here still have a bumper sticker on your car? Anybody? They've fallen out of fashion and out of favor. Who raised their hand? Wendy. Of course, Wendy. Wendy. You know, because it's in church, I don't even want to know because it might be bad, so I just don't want to know. You can tell me later. But you know Wendy, she's telling everybody around her right now. You've seen the bumper cars, bumper cars, the bumper stickers, you've seen them. You know, my other car is a Porsche. You know, it's on this little dilapidated jalopy. You know, you've seen that. This is the bumper sticker I want to close with tonight. A bumper sticker. This is a real one. And it's usually on an old junker of a car that, you know, you wonder if it's going to make it up the next hill. And it's usually uh, not going very fast, and that's frustrating you. I have often said to Beverly, I have no trouble with the people that are on my bumper, my back bumper. I don't care. You can be on my back bumper all day long, but don't get on my front bumper. That's the bumper I care about. But this is usually on a back bumper, and it just says this. 
I may be slow, but I'm ahead of you. Some of you spiritually, you know what you need to do? You need to paste that bumper sticker on the back of your head. And the next time the devil goes to attacking you, you may say, I may be slow. I may trip and fail. I may fumble and fall. I may not have my act together, but guess what, buddy? I'm walking behind the general and you're in chains on your way to eternal destruction and damnation. I may be slow. I may not get it all right all the time, but I'm ahead of you and I'm headed up and you're headed down. (laughs) When you are in Christ, you get a new nature. You get a new name. You get a new identity and destiny. You get everything. And it's all because of the one who won the victory to Jesus. Be all glory and honor and adoration. You want an interesting little Bible study on your own? Just go to a concordance and look up that little phrase. Use a little computer program maybe and look up in Christ in the epistles. Paul uses it nearly 75 times. Paul had all kinds of issues and problems and people against him. But because he was in Christ, he never turned back. He never gave up. He never turned around. It's an amazing thing to be in Christ. I'm so glad you were in Bible study tonight. I hope something here helped you and inspired you. I'd like you to lift your hands right now, and I'd like to pray together one more time before we just kind of up and leave, before we walk out of God's presence and out of his sanctuary. Would you just lift up your hands and let your voice out and just thank the Lord for the privilege of being in Christ. Thank you for the privilege of being in that parade of victory. Your life might not feel much like a parade of victory, but you're in a parade of victory by virtue of being in Christ. Your life might be upside down right now, but your spiritual life is right side up because you're headed to the right destination and you're following the right person. You're following your father. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for the privilege and the honor of teaching these precious people tonight. I pray God for somebody that they may have attacks and they may have all kinds of situations in their life that aren't kind, aren't good, aren't fun, aren't friendly. And they've struggled and sometimes they feel like throwing up their hands. God, I pray you'd take this little image that Paul gave us from your word. And I pray you'd just kind of lock that in their spirit. I pray God you'd Help them to just kind of marinate in that understanding over the next few days that we are in Christ and this church is in victory and we are headed to heaven. So it doesn't matter all the rest. The uh, the rest may be difficult to deal with, but it's not going to defeat us because of who we are in and who we follow. Jesus, touch your good people tonight. Lift them up. Bind up hurts and hearts and minds, I pray. And let your people walk out of here knowing that they are walking out in victory and in Christ. In Jesus' name. Before we leave, would you stand? And would you lift up your hands and I'd like to fill this place with the incense of prayer and praise to Jesus because that glorifies God and it blesses you and it terrorizes hell. Hell doesn't like it when the church praises because it reminds hell, we're victorious, you're defeated. We're headed up, you're headed down. We're going to heaven, but you have an eternal destiny of torment. Devil, I just want to remind you one more time, my praise doesn't go to the world, my praise doesn't go to you. My praise goes to Jesus. He's the victor. Hallelujah. I thank you, Jesus. I worship you and I honor you and I adore you.